Good evening, you fantastic and glorious degenerates of this floating rock that we call Earth. Welcome to the Cajun Libertarian Live. I am your host, the Cajun Libertarian. Tonight, we have the LNC debate live with Angela McCardle, Tony DeRazio, and Steve Dashback coming up right now on the Cajun Libertarian Live. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to the Cajun Libertarian Live. Real quick, so glad to have you here. So glad to have all of the guests here. This will be absolutely excellent and phenomenal. Stay tuned for the entire time. You will not want to miss any of this. Something else you're not going to want to miss, go right now to SpikeCohen.com. You are the power. Where you can sign up for youarethepower.net right now. Get registered. It's free. Get the news. Get it right now. The organization is almost set up fully. We are ready to rock and roll. SpikeCohen.com. Go register right now. So without further ado, let's bring on, excuse me, our guests. Steve, how are you? Very good. Good, good, good. Tony. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you too. Angela, how are you doing? We got no audio from Angela. You're muted, Angela. That was hey. a conspiracy. It was. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's a Ron Pauling. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you all so much for coming on and having this debate. I assume that this will be a bunch of fun and we are going to learn a lot. So without further ado, Steve, I'm going to bring you on first for an opening statement. You got two minutes. All right. Well, I got, uh, I discovered I was a libertarian the same year the party was founded. And uh, I've been involved in the movement most of that time. And the one thing that became clear to me very early on is that the single biggest problem that we face is there simply aren't enough of us active and involved in fighting for liberty. Uh, To put it quickly, we need more members. We need more members because more members means more manpower, more people to run as campaigns, when as candidates work on campaigns, serve in local leadership positions, it means more money. That means we can hire the staff we need, pay for ballot access, pay for advertising. And it leads to more media because one of the keys to getting more media is to having a fully staffed communications department putting out a strong message. And the fact is, for the last 20 years, we've been we've not been growing. We've been sort of drifting a little back and forth. We've grown in votes. And we've grown in registered libertarians, but the party itself has not grown. And it doesn't have to be that way. When I was national chair in the two terms that I was chair, membership increased 180%, fundraising increased 200%, media appearances increased 500%. When I was the party's executive director, we reached our peak of 33,000 members and raised $3.3 million. And thanks to inflation, that would be the equivalent of $5.5 million today. In the Jorgensen campaign, 
we raised $3.5 million from just over 40,000 donors. And three quarters of those donors were not from the LP. They were people that came in, were attracted by the message and decided to get involved and they contributed. We also attracted 200,000 inquiries, 500,000 uh, uh, followers on Facebook. You know, our campaigns need to be about outreach and growth. The party needs to be about outreach and growth. And that's what I will bring as national chair. I have the, uh, the, the uh, luxury of doing this full time. I want to be your full time chair for the next two years. Thank you. Outstanding, Steve. Thank you. And actually, we got a, a, a little bit. We're going to dig into that a little bit later. So, uh, Angela, you're up. Give us your opening statement, please, ma'am. She's muted again. I'm unmuted now. <laughs> it's the conspiracy. Across the United States, a thirst for personal liberty has been ignited in the hearts of working class people. And they don't know exactly what libertarianism is, but they know what tyranny is because they've experienced it firsthand for the last two years. Right now, people have a low resolution vision of freedom. And I believe our job as Libertarian Party is to bring that vision into focus by communicating our message clearly being organized and supporting our candidates. This is my vision for the Libertarian Party, to explain how we can turn the LNC into a functional organization again, so that we can work effectively to accomplish that vision and bring about a freer world in our lifetimes. For decades, people have argued over what the purpose of the party is. Is it to win elections or to spread the message of liberty? I believe it can be both. Here's what we'll do nationally under my leadership. We'll focus on candidates with bold messaging campaigns who are running in electable or high profile races. And we'll amplify the voices of those candidates, people like Shane Hazel, and we'll throw everything that we have behind them. The National Party's social media, its email campaigns, direct mail, other assets. We'll relate state issues like cannabis decriminalization to national issues like the federal drug war so that we stay relevant and speak to the needs of real people. And this is strategic planning. It's something the LNC does not do. It'll be one of the first things we're going to do when I'm elected national chair, adopt a two-year flexible strategic plan that meets many of our short-term needs while building for a long-term future. You can find a copy of my strategic plan summary at AngelaMcArdle.com. In order for any of this to work, we have to have a functional LNC. It's important for the chair and committee members to be able to work with each other and trust each other. When we don't have that second element, trust, it's my job to fill in the gaps and help our board members build trust so that we can move forward together and be successful. It's the chair's job to help us achieve our goals and to get there as quickly as possible. With my leadership and guidance, I believe we can improve our messaging at the national level, heal our internal party culture, grow our membership, and increase our donor base. By working together strategically, I believe we can build stronger affiliate support to help our state parties. Unlike the current LNC, we'll be utilizing change management, project management software, conflict resolution and conflict management. Get ready to see a professional LNC. We're going to be like David, throwing a stone in the face of Goliath. Thank you. Hello, fellow libertarians. My name is Tony DeRossio, and I want to be your next LNC chair. I've been a libertarian for a quarter century now, and I've watched our party grow and go through a number of stages and cycles. And we're right now in the midst of another one of those great cycles. With a lot of this change and a lot of these cycles have come conflict. 
this is the conflict that we're seeing in our party right now is no different than the conflict that we saw two years ago, four years ago, six years ago, 20 years ago. This is something that's been repeated. Here's how we bring the party together. One, we make sure that everybody has a seat at the table. We're not talking about any sort of a monolith that's going to come in and take over. We're talking about having a leader, me, who is willing to work with any libertarian. We are a big tent. We need to start acting like we are. We have the best message as libertarians. Think of us like we're a lemonade stand. We have the best lemonade, the best recipe for lemonade. It's so simple. And we're competing against Walmart and Target the Democrats and Republicans. We need to be focusing our efforts towards making the best lemonade, selling the best lemonade, bringing the lemonade to the consumer and not throwing lemons at each other. We're going to do that with clear, simple messaging, supporting candidates, and setting ourselves up to be a professional organization that can compete on a national level with the big two. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Absolutely fantastic. Outstanding opening statements from all three. Thank you all so, so much. As we move on to the next question, let me first talk about Joe Solosky, J-O-E-S-O-L-O-S-K-I for Pennsylvania governor. Joe Solosky is the key to Pennsylvania success, and Nicole Schultz is the key to Joe Solosky's success. He is now running on the uh, Keystone Party ticket, and I will have him on soon to talk about what that means. But if you want to go support Joe, JoeSolosky.com, Joe Solosky for Pennsylvania governor, JoeSolosky.com. Go check him out. And do it, do it now. All right. So now let's get into it. I want to ask a very personal question from me. Um, I want to know, why do you want this job? This job is tough. Everybody hates it. Nobody wants it. You're going to be criticized at every level. Every decision you make, you are going to receive criticism. A lot of it's going to be harsh and filled with vitriol. Why on earth would you want this job that's so, so toxic and give me like a personal response. You know, I don't want a, 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 a politician's generic response. So um, we're going to start with you, Tony. What do you, why do you want this job, man? Well, that's a great question. And everybody asked me that question. And usually it's, why do you hate yourself so much to want <laughs> this job? I know we have all heard that statement. I don't. I love this party. I love Liberty. I've been with this party for a quarter century. I've been somebody who's worked with people from the left side of our party, the right side of our party, the middle of our party, the social, the libertarian socialist wing, the Ron Paul libertarians, the Harry Brown libertarians, the Michael Badnerick libertarians, libertarians of all shapes, sizes, colors, creeds. And I've been successful with it. I find value in that. I've been that centering influence at the state level. I've been that centering influence at the local level, at the county level. I bring an experience that I think the party needs right now. And 
I'm stepping up to serve because I feel like it's my turn. And you're willing to, to take on all this heat? There's a lot of Bring heat. It. Bring it. Uh, I mean, you know, I I, I mean, I, I don't know if it's Cajun level heat, but bring it on. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what I'm here for. I, I'm not I'm not here to shy away from the heat. Um, I, I if if anybody see my interactions online or interactions face to face, even I don't shy away from it. I stay respectful. I stay calm. Uh, but but I certainly don't shy away from heat, and I'll and I'll stand up to any challenges to uh, liberty in our party. Outstanding. Tony, thank you very much. Very excellent question. Uh, Angela, you're up next. Why do you want this awful, awful Okay. So I acknowledge that it is a challenging role and that it's full of hatred and vitriol. Uh, but you know what? Life is suffering. And I think the antidote to suffering is to find a sustained meaning. And I believe the best way to find meaning in life is to pick up the biggest burden you can and carry it as far as you possibly can. Um, I'm prepared to do this job full time. I thrive in a stressful environment and I like to be challenged. And I think that I'm the best person for the job right now to move the party in the direction that it needs to go in, to withstand the infighting, to get rid of some of the infighting. You know, fighting is part of the human condition. We can't get rid of every single argument, but I do believe that I can start to move the needle in the right direction to the point where people are no longer arguing over who your Facebook friends with or who you follow on Twitter but instead arguing about who is the most qualified, who's bringing the most skills to the game, and who is gonna really help us achieve liberty in our lifetime. That's why I've decided to throw my name in the hat. And of course I was inspired by the party's uh, complete and uh, abject failure at the national level to rebuke the lockdowns. That's what really kicked this off for me. That's outstanding, because I was gonna ask about that later, so we'll, we'll dive into it um, a little bit more. Because that's why I'm here is because of coronavirus mandates. If it hadn't been for that, you would you would all never know who I was, most likely. So thank you, Angela. We will uh, we'll get into that a little bit more later. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Steve, you're up. You're muted, Steve. Steve, you're muted. Said <laughs> I've done this job before, so I know exactly what I'm getting in for. And actually, it's really not that bad of a job. Um, the key is to treat everyone with respect and listen to everyone and try to make sure you're involving everyone. You don't end end fighting by only having one group in charge of everything. You have it by having a diverse set of views and listening to everybody and finding common ground. Uh, and that's how you deal with it. And for the occasional juvenile behavior, I raised four kids. I taught high school for a number of years. I'm used to dealing with juvenile behavior. So, you know, this is nothing new. The main reason I'm running for this is I'm tired of not seeing us grow. If you look at the growth that I would, would achieve occurred during the two terms I served as chair, and if we simply had continued that level of growth, not percentage growth, just the raw numbers, four to 5,000 new members a year, we'd right now be at 120,000 members with a $12 million budget. And we could do a whole lot more with that than we're able to do with what we have right now. And after 20 years of not seeing that kind of sustained growth occurring, uh, I decided I'm retired, I can do this full time. And uh, that's where I wanna spend the next uh, two years is growing the party. I do like to do it as national chair. If not, I'll do it in my state and working with other state parties. But I'm gonna be focused on building this party uh, because I think that America needs uh, that. 
That's excellent. Thank you, Steve. And um, I mean, to I get to all three of you, this job. And of course, I you know I, I made it a little sound terrible, right? Because there are aspects of it that are very terrible and not so pleasing and not so rewarding. There's a lot of time that you're going to spend. There's a lot of your own money that you're going to spend. And there's a lot of that effort that's going to go unthankful. You know, people are not going to be grateful for what you do, no matter how hard you work at it and what you do. And so it's very important that we uh, we kind of flesh out in transparency in front of everybody exactly why you want to do the job, right? Because this is tough. It's a tough gig, but it's a high responsibility because like all three of you said, what we have going right now needs to spread and fast. We have no time for breaks. We need all gas, and that's going to require great, great, great sacrifice on y'all's end. And so whoever gets the job, and then like Steve said, it doesn't matter if you get the job or not, all of you are going to be working overtime, doing thankless jobs, with or without the title of LNC chair. So, again, I thank you for uh, for joining me and, and joining all the audience. There's a lot of people here, and they want to hear what you have to say, and that's excellent. And, by the way, since there are a lot of people here, I want to talk to you about Gap Armory, gaparmory.com. We carry the parts you need to finish your third print, your 3D printed firearms. We carry parts and accessories for a wide variety of popular firearms. We carry our own slide rails for 3D printed Glock frames. Libertarian owned and operated longtime Mises and Cap kind of guy. We love and accept crypto. Gap Armory has the gear you need to bridge the gap in your defensive preparedness. So go and check them out right now. They're a local business. If you can get what you need from them, please do check them out. Go to gaparmory.com. Don't do it right now because I want you to stay here for the show. But if you have multiple devices, whatever you need to do, check out gaparmory.com. They've got your best interest in these. They are very small. They are growing, and they are libertarian-based. Go check them out, gaparmory.com. All right, so let's move on to the, uh, the next question here. Tell us your credentials, both inside and outside of the Libertarian Party. Give us your educational background, work experience, volunteer efforts, and personal political philosophy, and do it in two minutes. And again, please be transparent. No generic politics. We are not politicians here. We're Libertarians. We're people from the grassroots. We don't need political answers. We need transparency on how we're going to put our foot on the gas immediately. Steve, we'll start with you. I'll read you the question again. Tell us your credentials, both inside and outside the Libertarian Party, your educational background, work experience, volunteer efforts, and personal political philosophy within two minutes and go. Let me concentrate on the non-political stuff, the non-party stuff, because I, I hit the party stuff a little earlier. Um, I taught uh, high school and college for uh, 38 years. I have a master's in chemistry and uh, uh, a minor in physics. I uh, do uh, community theater and... Uh, in 10 of those years was working with a uh, group in uh, the DC area that does original social and political satire. Uh, and we raised money for charity. And over that time we raised, typically gave anywhere from 25 to $40,000 to a local area charity each year that we'd raised by uh, performing the uh, original material. I served on uh, three different theater boards, uh, one time as uh, director of development, one time as uh, VP of membership services, and uh, VP of production, i.e. I was the producer for uh, the company. Um, I've also served as the uh, president of the board of directors for a Montessori school. The, um, um, in terms of the, the party, 
I've served, I've done everything from run for office, uh, served as state chair in two different states. I'm currently the county chair here in Greenville County. Um, and in addition to being uh, state chair or national chair, I was also a uh, vice chair and three terms as a regional rep. And of course, I just was the campaign manager for Joe Jorgensen. Oh, and I've got four kids and a wife who's all, my wife's also a life member. Uh, and we're going to be uh, celebrating our 48th uh, anniversary this coming uh, summer, right after, right after the National Convention. I think you're muted. My bad. My bad. I said that was outstanding. We're all doing it. Hey, welcome to the Cage Libertarian Live. This is um, um, not a Muddy Waters Media event, but a clearly a Muddy Waters Media tech issues. Um, I'm going to give you another 30 seconds real quick to uh, just kind of, first of all, I said congratulations on the uh, the upcoming anniversary and um, give us about 30 seconds of your personal political philosophy, please. Oh, I'm basically a... Um... I started out really as a classical liberal. That's what I just discovered I was. I thought I was a, an actual liberal until I uh, took a college course and uh, read uh, Jefferson and Payne and decided that that was a better fit for where I uh, was. Uh, I'm a make directional libertarian. I want to make government as small as we possibly can, however small that happens to be. And I think that when we focus on direction, we're united. When we start arguing about what the destination is, we become divided. And so since we almost all agree on the direction, we should focus on that, focus on making government as small and as inexpensive and inintrusive and less powerful as we possibly can. And if we can make it to zero, that's great. And if we make it somewhere less than zero, however far we can go, we should keep pushing in that direction because more government is never the solution. Amen. Absolutely correct. Uh, let's go with Tony. I'll read you the question again. Tell us your credentials, both inside and outside the Libertarian Party, your educational background, work experience, volunteer efforts, and personal political philosophy. You have two minutes, my friend. Go for it. Well, first of all, I'd like to note that I'm the only one who knows what the mute button is on this call. So, <laughs> That's uh, valid. My first credential. Um, I am, um, I, I'm as in trade. In trade, I'm in. A, in my professional life, I'm an IT um, leader uh, for hire. I, I, I'm an IT consultant for colleges and universities at the at the leadership level. So I'm I'm a CIO, a chief information officer, an associate CIO. I'm working with strategy. I'm talking to boards. I'm talking to trustees. I'm talking to presidents. I'm talking to the people who are fundraising for educational institutions. Um, and I've done this for for a lot of years, not just in higher ed, but also in manufacturing in the uh, business process world. So. I'm very familiar with strategy. I'm very familiar with talking to boards. Um, I've also served on um, the board for, and those who know me in my personal life will are going to get a kick out of this, the Rochester Curling Club. Um, curling is a passion I have outside of um, the husband Curling, that's right. The sport of mm -hmm. curling on ice with stones and brooms. I know. Aren't you like 6'6"? Um, six, six? Sorry. <laughs> I am 6'6", six, six, and it's not easy. <laughs> But but it's but it's my passion and and it's fun and I served on the board of the Rochester Curling Club for several years. Okay. Inside the party, I've served uh, in leadership at the at the local level, at the county level, and at the state level. I was um, New York State Chair um, back in 2020, 
when we merged the party, when we brought the party back together, when we had one of these fissures in the party that was actually impacting how we were doing business. I've been a candidate twice, both uh, at the federal level, so I, I ran for Congress, and at the hyper-local level, I ran for a local justice spot. I've worked on other people's campaigns and communications and fundraising um, areas. I, I worked on the Dwayne Whitmer for Congress campaign in, in, a, in, a comms, in a comms capacity. I worked in the Larry Sharp campaign in a development capacity. I am the de facto um, comms director for the LPNY and have been expert in messaging um, precisely to those things that the National Party is weak on that are really important to the state of New York, such as the mandates. Outstanding, Tony. Thank you so much. Um, Angela, you're up. I'll read the question again. Tell us your credentials, both inside and outside the Libertarian Party, your educational background, work experience, volunteer efforts, and personal political philosophy. Two minutes. Uh, my personal political philosophy is that I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I grew up in a fairly conservative Christian home. My dad was a pastor. He pastored a church that had an emphasis on overseas messaging to communist countries, lots of good mission work. I work in litigation. I've got uh, 15 years of litigation experience, primarily as a senior paralegal, focusing on trial preparation, strategy, fact-finding, narrative, voir dire, and all of the complicated stuff that gets um, glossed over usually in, in media. Uh, my, uh, I have a bachelor's degree in organizational leadership. I've been doing this for quite a while. I volunteered with a small animal rescue group when I was a teenager and into my 20s for about eight years. I volunteered with wow. a group called Monday Night Mission that feeds uh, homeless people in Skid Row. I did that for about three years. I worked with Monday Night Mission and Food Not Bombs, a left-leaning anarchist organization that gives out free vegan meals. We Together, we got the groups together and worked successfully to overturn a potential ban on food sharing with homeless people in public in the city of LA in 2013. That's what got me initially very politically active. After that, I worked on cannabis legalization initiatives and the SB 277 referendum to repeal mandatory vaccination rules for children in California public schools. I've been the chair of the LA County LP for four years. We have approximately 250 members on average. I have run for Congress in California's 34th district twice. I have been the executive producer of a short film called The Unseen. I helped with the concept and vision and funding. I also produced a small film festival in LA County that was libertarian. I have worked on anti-lockdown lawsuits and done small business defense. California LP secretary for one year, California LP at large for two years, board of directors for the National Mises Caucus, and I chair the California state-level Mises PAC. And I also chair LA County's anti-mandate initiative, Medical Freedom LA. We've just recently won a fight against LA's vaccine passports. Uh, those have been repealed as of, I believe, Amazing. Wednesday of last year. And I have been working with New York to repeal theirs as well. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, thank you, Angela. I, I'm going to go ahead and actually jump into a little off script here because this is something that's very important to me. And I hope to God it's very important to everyone, not just here on the stage right now, but every single person watching and every single person within the Libertarian Party, because I don't think that we were loud enough 
and bold enough when it came to lockdowns and mandates and coronavirus. I've not been shy about this. I, I was vehemently against two weeks to flatten the curve because I knew exactly where this was headed. And so, and we're already seeing they're starting to roll out, roll out uh, Anthony Fauci again, who's already talking about restrictions again because of another variant. So if your chair, how loud and aggressive are you going to be in representing anti-lockdowns, anti-mandates, and individual liberty and responsibility when it comes to, and look, some of these states and counties, they still have it. Like Angela just said, they just won a case in LA County. I saw that on the, I think it was LA County, maybe LA City, but um, uh, they're still doing this. We have to be extraordinarily loud, bold, and aggressive in however we can be. What is your plan if we have to roll through this again? Tony, we'll start with you. Well, I can tell you um, that um, in New York, where I'm running communications, we haven't been quiet about the lockdowns. We have been talking about the vaccine mandates. We've been talking about the restrictions on small, small and medium businesses that have been absolutely debilitating to a lot of businesses, both inside New York City, where it's worse, and outside New York City, where we're already we were already having economic problems and a huge loss of population this was not helping so i did that in new york we brought bold messaging strong messaging and we got published for having our strong messaging the last straw for us and and we had a lot of last straws but I'm going to talk about this one, this particular last straw, as opposed to the 14 last straws that we had already talked about, was the vaccine passports. Right. Which, in in addition to being a terrible invasion of privacy, in New York at least, had some very serious issues with, with how the data was being stored. And we talked about that very boldly, and so boldly that I got a call from National asking if they could pick up the piece and use it as their piece, and that's what kicked off their vaccine mandate, their mandate um, initiatives. By continuing to stay relevant, sticking with topics that are important to every single libertarian. And by the way, I don't know a single libertarian who is in favor of mandates and wasn't loud about it. We're going to naturally have messaging that is going to be fighting the mandates. And it's just that simple. Looking at our states and actually syndicating what the states are saying about these mandates, like California, like New York, that worked. That's one thing that National did that worked in this case. Okay, so excellent. Um, right at two minutes. I'll, I'll say this. The reason I'm talking about it, I'm not, I'm not criticizing any one of you or anybody in particular when it comes to this, I just know that there was a failure or lack of effort from the national level, the national party on fighting coronavirus mandates. Obviously, you were not the chair at that time. So and it's fantastic to hear that you were fighting. But I do <laughs> I wholeheartedly believe that somewhere right after the midterms, we're about to roll through this again. Not me personally. I'm in a deep red state. We've been living basically normal for 18 months now and i was living normal since the beginning because i refused to comply um but if we do have to handle this again i want to know on a national level 
how we can get media attention, how we can stomp this into the ground and be the loudest party and the loudest collective group of people on the planet to fight these mandates. Angela, you're up. One of the, and I'm not going to name any names, uh, but one of our uh, current LNC members said that we need to stay in our lane when it comes to messaging, and that's why we shouldn't do it. So uh, I want to emphasize that this is literally our lane. This is one of the most basic essential components of freedom. Can you walk around outside, go to the grocery store, and so on and so forth without being forcibly injected or, or without being forced to wear a mask? So I want us to be very loud and clear on this. We're not going to water down the narrative. We're not going to confuse people by talking about voluntary mandates or voluntary lockdowns. Some of the ways that we're going to combat this is by sharing grassroots organizing materials with everybody, all the affiliates across the country. I think a lot of affiliates have actually been really outspoken and done a phenomenal job. But for anybody who feels really strongly, they're opposed to lockdowns, but they don't know where to get started, we're going to be helping right. them. And we're going to also encourage black markets and networking amongst people who have been screwed over by mandates. And we're going to highlight people who are struggling because that's a really compassionate thing to do. And we're also going to highlight people who are being courageous and defying the lockdowns and winning because we need to start fostering a culture of wins. Um, by the same token, if we get locked down again, I'm going to take advantage of every little thing that we can with it um, by pushing for ballot access wins and in lawsuits and declaratory relief, um, trying to get electronic signature gathering going in states where that have been hampered by lockdowns. Um, and I'm going to say that uh, I have zero desire to put out Libertarian Party branded masks. I think it's bad mm. optics for us. Yes. And uh, I'm not going to go there. If anybody else wants to do that, be my guest. But that's not something I'm going to be championing. I want us to be very clear on the superficial level that we're against lockdowns and we're against mandates. And so we're not going to be mixing our marketing with compliance measures. Oh, man, I totally agree. I, I've been telling people for weeks now that they I talk to them on the street, just random people. And I'll ask them if you know, maybe not as random. Maybe I've seen them once or twice and grown a small relationship. Why do you wear the mask? They're like, yeah, I don't know. It just makes people feel better. You know what you're doing? You are enforcing bad behavior because you're enforcing compliance. Do not wear that stupid mask. I know it seems so ridiculous and simple, but it's crucially important because you're enforcing compliance on the most basic and fundamental level, and that's in a visual context. Anyway, sorry, this is, didn't mean to rant there. <laughs> Steve, oh, you're up. That's the host's, host's prerogative to rant. All right, um, good to go. Heard. I think the idea that that uh, being opposition to mandates was uh, bad messaging is just nuts. I mean, look at uh, Don Rainwater, who ran in, for governor in Indiana. Yeah. He was concentrated on against the mandates, against the the, uh, the lockdowns and the, the wimpy uh, uh, responses of the Republican governor there. He got over 10 percent of the vote, came in second in a third of the counties in the state. So it is, in fact, a winning message then. The key is you have to be able to you have to have a regular program of responding in real time to media, uh, to, to the news. Uh, when I was chair, we were at, uh, sorry, when I was director, we had uh, we were doing 60 to 100 press releases a year. We were doing uh, we were scheduling about 50, an average of 56 interviews every month, media uh, media appearances. And we did that by going out rapidly every day on whatever was hot that day 
and we didn't shy away from controversy. That At that time, the big thing was 9-11. We came out the day after 9-11 with statement that included the fact that this was a direct response to our foreign intervention. And the way to stop this kind, these kinds of attacks was to stop getting involved in these foreign, uh, it, foreign interventions, stop having troops all around the world. Uh, we came out hard against the uh, creation of the TSA, the... Um, uh, the, uh, expanding the war on terror into Iraq and Somalia and other uh, nations. You know, we did this in real time, whenever the things hit, not a week later, not a month later, not a year later, right away, because that's how you get coverage. And that's how you get your voice heard is by being topical on whatever is actually there. We don't know what the next equivalent to the lockdown is going to be, but we know it'll be something. Government is going to overreach right. in some way because that's what government does. It always overreaches. It always acquires more power. And so, you know, it, it's hard to tell what will take off. One of the things that we got tremendous mileage out, out of was when they started to impose these know your customer uh, banking regulations. And we led a an online campaign of getting generating online comments against that uh, that got some major uh, press at the time. But again, you don't know what those issues are. What you can do is make sure that you're ready to respond and are in the habit of responding in real time all the time. Yep. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, one of the one of the other reasons that I bring that up is because uh, very recently. Well, number one, I, I can't stand it. I, I can't stand it. I want to be on the street with a bullhorn. If I, if I, if I even if I have to get arrested, like stop. Stop what you're doing. But it's been very recently that I've heard some major media pontificators literally call us out. And I'm like, no, we were loud. We may not have been loud enough on the national level from a national messaging standpoint. Maybe not everybody agrees with that, and that's fine. But um, I don't want to be the one that's called out for not saying anything as libertarians, especially when I know that's false. I know that's not right. So whatever we have to do in the face of new mandates I want us to do it, and I want us to be as bold and loud as possible. If that means that the national um, committee is just empowering states and counties to the best of their ability to bring that message across, fine. But I want 100% effort in it. And with saying that, you know who else puts 100% effort into their products? Nug of Knowledge. If you want to elevate your mental state, head over to Nug of Knowledge. Nug of Knowledge is your source for high science CBD and THC Delta 8 products available in smokable flower, vaporizer, chargers, gummies, and more. It's illegal to tell you what it does. <laughs> That's funny. So you're going to have to find out for yourself, and I'm sure you will be more than willing. Please trip responsibly. Use the code CAJUN for a 10% discount on your first order, nugofknowledge.com. Please go visit them. Again, use the promo code CAJUN for a 10% discount on your first order, nugofknowledge.com. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. All right, next question. Some of this, like I said before, may be stuff that in material that you've heard before, but I hope that I can present it in a unique way and offer a different perspective and angle on how it is presented and how you would receive it and respond to it. The chair of the LNC is an unpaid position that requires a lot of personal travel and expenses along the way. 
How do you plan to cover these expenses as well as managing your own personal finances and responsibilities around your current full-time job? Steve, I know you don't have a current full-time job, but question remains, my friend. Yeah, I, I, I have no problem uh, financing uh, the travel and uh, the time. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for my own, the campaign here. I'm not, I'm not doing fundraising. I figure that libertarians need to be con uh, making their donations to libertarian candidates and their local libertarian party. Uh, you know, I'm paying for the uh, hotel and plane stuff uh, myself, and uh, I'll do the same as national chair. And I have the time uh, since I don't have a full time job. I'll be able to do whatever level of travel is, is uh, needed and desired by uh, the affiliates. Uh, many times affiliates uh, cover a plane ticket. That's nice when they do that. But if not, uh, I'll be there one way or the other. And it's, again, it's not a uh, it is not a financial burden for me. Excellent. Yeah, that makes it easy. Uh, I wish I could say the same. I cannot. So, <laughs> Tony, you're up. Tell us how you're going to be able to manage all this money on your end while being LNC chair. You're muted, Tony. <laughs> oh, look. No, no, no. No, well, wait a minute. So Hold on. No, no, no. Nope, I got to kick you out there for a second because you did make the joke that you were the only one that knew how to unmute your mic on the live session. So now everybody's failed 100%. Now we're all involved and we're friends. And that's awesome to me. Tony, go ahead. <laughs> Karma, Karma got me right in the rump on yeah, that one. Dude. It was really yeah, good. Dude. That's all on me. Cannot hide <laughs> that one. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a job where I travel um, quite a bit. So, you know, I'm going to be spending a lot of my freaking flyer miles on, right. on, uh, on, on LNC travel. So, Gonna let my company pay my day my day travel, and I'm gonna use take that benefit and use it use it at night, uh, use it for for my real passion, which is which is liberty, uh, and and I won't have any problem doing that. Um, if anybody really wants to help, and come go go over to Tony4Chair.com. That's Tony the number four Chair.com. Four is the number of terms as LNC Chair I'll be serving, um, and and help me out with with a buck or two. I, I'd really appreciate it, but I intend to fund my travel and when I'm LNC chair. Outstanding. Very good. Thank you, Tony. Angela, you're up. I think that for a party that is mostly really excited about capitalism and, and embraces that we have very unhealthy attitudes towards money within the party. Um, and that's something that I would like to change. So I announced when I first started running for chair that I would do it full time if I got $2,000 a month on Patreon. And I've pretty much hit that goal already with a mix between Patreon, Substack, and locals, which is great. Uh, I don't expect the party to pay for my travel. I get privately funded. It's basically already my full-time job, by the way. I, I work zero to 10 hours per week in litigation at this point, and I do libertarianism full-time the rest of the time. I'll continue to use that money just to basically fund travel and, and get to where I need to be and uh, so on and so forth, other resources. Uh, otherwise, financially, I'm good. I'm in a, a stable, committed relationship. And, uh, you know, my boyfriend pays rent and most of the major bills, and I take care of my own bills, and, you know, things like that. So travel is not a burden for me. I've been managing it just fine. I will continue to manage it just fine in the future. And it is my goal, though, for the chair who comes after me 
to start making a salary because I think that it's very unprofessional that we don't take better care of our of our of the people who run our organization. Even the Green Party pays their chair. So again, I don't think that's going to come for me. You know, in my in my cycle, I'll be like the party's uh, ex girlfriend. You know, who who whips it into shape and then uh, bitterly, you know, lets it go, and the person who comes after reaps all of the benefits. That, that's my hope. Nice. Great answer. Thank you, Angela. All right. Uh, kind of sticking with finances here. Donations to the National Libertarian Party are drastically down from their usual trends. What do you believe is the cause of that? And how do you plan to turn it around? Tony, we'll start with you. Yes, donations are down. And that's not all that atypical um, kind of be between your presidential campaigns. But um, I think a lot of people are taking a wait-and-see approach to see what's going to happen after Reno. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do the things I said I'm going to do. I'm going to unify the party. I'm going to work with all comers. I'm going to focus on candidates. That's what people who are donating to the party want. They want minimum turmoil and maximum support of candidates, plain and simple. Um, simplification of our messaging. By bringing these things in line, we're going to get our donors back. Now, there are some that may not come back organically. I'm personally going to call, I'll call them myself. As chair, chair is a fundraising position. It's my job to reach out to, to the, especially the big number donors and, well, get them to write the big number checks. It's my job to convince them that my vision, that the direction of the party is solid and that'll bring them back. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. And actually, while he's ending that right there, I'll go ahead and let everybody know that we're about to actually dive a little bit deeper into that last statement. But carrying on with this question first, Angela, um, let's see, donations to the national LP are drastically down from their usual trends. What do you believe is the cause of that and how do you plan to turn it around? I think there are two reasons. Primarily, I believe that it's because donations usually drop off uh, around this time of year, after the presidential election, as we go into the midterm cycle. And we need to change how we fundraise in midterms. That's something that I am going to be working with the rest of the LNC board on, uh, to have a fundraising plan that incorporates candidates and affiliate support and recaptures our donors in the middle of a, of a dead year, you know, basically in, in the midterm time. Um, and there are definitely some people who are have pulled out or they're in a wait and see mode because of the changing of the guard at Reno. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But my attitude about that is to be polite and gracious to anyone who leaves with their dollars and to welcome them back after they see our success. I will definitely be making fundraising calls myself. I will be working additional fundraising lists that other people don't currently have. And I will be sharing that with the LNC so that it's actually gained you know, in the party and it's not just my own stuff on the side. Uh, I'll be networking very aggressively, uh, working hard at Freedom Fest, actually, to get more uh, more donations to the party and, and real donors. Nice. And most importantly, articulating a clear vision for the future, because I know that that's something that donors are very interested in. They want to see how far we can stretch their donations in two, three, five, even 10 years. Those are some of my plans for how we're going to grow fundraising and, and why I think it's down right now. 
Excellent. You kind of uh, covered that second question, but we'll, we'll get into it anyway. Uh, Steve, you're up. Well, between uh, being chair, executive director, and the Jorgensen campaign, I think I've been involved in raising about $14 million for uh, the party. Uh, the key to fundraising is letting people know what you're planning to do, have a clear, clear plan, and communicating the success. Nothing pisses off donors more than donating something and then never hearing a word about what they donated to. Uh, so you have to have that 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 uh, give and take of information so that they can see what their donations are providing. We used to refer to it as plans in progress. Um, I'll be contacting the major donors, many of them I know personally. Uh, and again, communicating, here's what we're doing. Here's what your contribution will achieve. Can we get your help? But the big thing is we have to expand the, the donor base. You know, that's what we did in the Jorgensen campaign where we, all our fundraising was outside the party. I mean, three quarters of our donors were outside. We only sent one fundraising letter to the, the party itself. Everything else was focused to the outside. And that's what we have to do nationally. We need to be finding more libertarians and getting them to support the, the party. There's 30 to 60 million people out there that fundamentally share our general beliefs. They want to, they want less government. They want a, a government to do less, not more. And it's it's criminal that we've got less than 20,000 people that are actually currently donating right now. Uh, and that's on us. We need to reach out to those people and show that there's something of value to them and bring them in. And I've got experience in doing that. Very good. Excellent. Thank you, Steve. All right. Uh, and just kind of continuing that trend, which some of you have already um, on a minimal level fleshed out. But I want to ask this question anyway, because I think there's a very specific part of it that hasn't been quite answered. And so uh, let's dive into it. As chair, a big responsibility is interfacing with donors and fundraising. Look, I know you guys have been beat to death with the fundraising stuff. OK, but is, is some of this. There's a lot of people that haven't heard y'all have any debates at all. And so I want to make sure we kind of tackle a couple of these financial issues because it's a big deal for the chair. It's a big deal for our party. So as chair, a big responsibility is interfacing with donors and fundraising. I'd like to know what your first pitch to major donors would be when asking for direct financial support for the Libertarian Party. And how do you plan to keep all that money transparent? There's also been a lot of rumors and, and things going around about um, some money coming into the party or certain areas of the party that is what they call dark money as opposed to transparent money. So how do you plan to get these big donors in and, and how do we keep that money um, available and transparent so that we can see, everyone can see what the funds are coming in, where every dollar is spent, all of that. Uh, Tony, you're up. Well, I will say that um, as a political party who runs federal candidates, we need to report on those things. We have a treasurer who needs to report on those things. So I'm looking forward to the Cajun Libertarian treasurer debate um, to hear <laughs> them answer that very same question. Um, I am really happy that I don't have to fill out those reports because right. that, that, that's that's not my job. Anything the treasurer needs, I, I you know, here you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna help them out. Um, I believe in transparency, um, and I'll, I'll be transparent with our major donors. They need to know where their money's going. It's my opinion that money should be going towards clear, simple messaging and supporting candidates. Our main mission should be 
supporting candidates, getting candidates on the ballot, supporting ballot access, winning damn elections. Yes. By bringing those issues to donors, and that's what donors care about, we're going to get the donors back. That's my first pitch. That's our focus. Excellent. Excellent response, Tony. Thank you. Um, Angela, what are you going to pitch to the major donors, and how do we plan to keep the money transparent so that everybody can trust what they're doing and where the funds are going? Um, You need to cultivate a relationship with donors. You don't want to just call and ask for a bunch of money. That's rude. Um, Most major development most major nonprofit and political organizations have development departments that work carefully with people who are in messaging and other elements, other departments in the in the organization so that everybody is cohesive. And so that when donors go and they look up your organization, they see exactly what they're donating to. And I think that that's very important. Uh, one of the things that I will be doing, though, is I will actually be presenting a, a summary of a strategic plan and a vision for the party and for our accomplishments in two, five and 10 years. And that's, I think, something that donors really like to see. They want to know exactly what their money is going to. So we'll do that. I think that it's also important for our budgets to be transparent. And this is something that needs to be incorporated into that. And, you know, transparency is a little bit of a buzzword. But for like a real life scenario, when we look at the LNC budget that comes out in reports, it's confusing and it's not easy to make sense of it. I've done a deep dive on it with Todd Hagopian. We sat down for a few hours and went through it and and worked really hard to figure it out. I'd like to do some of that stuff live so that people who are members and donors to the party can actually see what's going on. And we will be working to change the way those reports are generated. I don't believe that they're done in a malicious way at all. I think this is just something where they're done the way they're done and people don't think about it critically as to how our donors and members perceive that data. So we're going to be keeping their interests in mind when we generate those reports and share it with the rest of the party. I hope that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. For the, yeah. I, I don't want just, and this is for all, of, all, all three of you and anybody else that's running for chair that, that might be watching or listening. Um, we want to make sure that also our members, right. Our, our delegates and even down to the lowest level that anyone within the libertarian party can see where the money's going and you know trust it that that's a big deal because that may be i have no idea you know i'm not in those positions so i don't know i can only speculate but i want to make sure that all of our funding is transparent because nobody's going to trust us if it's not and if they can't trust us they won't donate to us and so you know that some people might look at that as you know if i can't see where the money going it might be getting stolen kind of like taxes you know taxes taxation is theft Are you tired of spending your hard-earned money on dropping bombs on schools and hospitals in the Middle East? Wish you could stop subsidizing the imprisonment of nonviolent drug offenders? Well, you can. Head over to the official home of taxationistheft.info. That's taxationistheft.info. And download a free PDF that will start you on a path to legally stop paying income tax by the time you're done. You may never... Never rode income tax, register a car, or pay a traffic fine ever again. So please go visit taxationistheft.info. That's taxationistheft.info. And obviously, taxation is theft. Thank you very much for your sponsorship. All right. Let's head on to a little bit something else here. 
one of the biggest problems that we have from leadership in anywhere really in the libertarian party is a failure to admit mistakes or admit when you are wrong leaders will double down on a wrong stance rather than admit that they made a mistake tell us about a massive mistake in the liberty movement that you've made preferably one you haven't publicly admitted yet with 90 seconds steve we'll start with you oh let's see uh probably the, the, i guess there's two that that sort of stand out uh the first was um uh, when i first became chair i was uh the, our ex executive director was leaving 30 days after i took over as chair and so I felt under the gun to hire an executive director and I made a rapid hire and it turns out not a good hire. And then I had to do the, the re reversing that decision. So that was, I learned that I need to be slow to hire and quick to uh, terminate when it comes to uh, staff positions. Uh, the other one was uh, during the, uh, the Jorgensen campaign. Uh, I've read all the research that says, you know, signs and bumper stickers are not big, uh, you know, they don't have much effect on your vote. And so my thought was, get after you get the nomination, we'll get other things in place first. We'll have the signs and the bumper stickers ready by the uh, the convention and in Orlando. That'll be fine. Uh, I was dead wrong. Uh, members and supporters want those bumper stickers and signs yesterday. And uh, that should have been an immediate priority research be damned uh because it was something that the supporters wanted and so uh and that was something i would suggest to any other uh candidate in the future be sure you're ready to go with those things because uh you're go it's going to be expected by your supporters and it's something that gives lets them get involved right away in the campaign and i didn't put enough emphasis on that aspect of that decision yeah yeah that's a, a great um confession and, and, you know, just admitting that you did something wrong. Here, here's one of the things that I've got that uh, I'll tell you personally, and I'm going to involve, I'm you know, on the fly here, going to incorporate this for all of you. We'll start with Steve since you're on screen. Something that I've struggled with uh, over the last 10 years, I've been in leadership all over the place, worship minister and, and assistant pastor in churches, and then doing this now and, and running this brand and all that. One of the worst things that can happen is when a leader gets in place they don't put themselves in a position to have accountability and then, you know, bow to that accountability. Really, if you got a collective group of people that you have a team that's telling you, hey, 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 that's not something you should do. Are you going to listen or are you going to say, nope, I'm the man or I'm the woman and, and proceed forward, even if you think for 100 percent that it may be the best idea? Well, in fact, uh, that I saw that when I served as chair, because, uh, you know, one of the things that I uh, felt was very important is that there had to be buy-in by the entire committee. So a lot of times I would come in with a recommendation that uh, this is the way I think we should do it. And maybe I had 10 votes out of 18 in favor of that, you know, enough to pass it. But those eight people that thought that was a bad idea, they're important, too. And a lot of times by listening to what their concerns were, what, what were they concerned about here? We could adjust the original proposal, address their concerns and get something that was maybe 80% of what I thought was the best plan, but it got hundred percent buy-in and yeah. having everybody on track and supporting what we were doing, we accomplished way more than if we'd gotten my, ideally my, from my perspective, slightly better idea, but 
had half the committee fighting on it, uh, we wouldn't have got as much done. So, uh, you know, no individual has a monopoly on good ideas. No caucus has a monopoly of good ideas. No wing of the party has a monopoly of good ideas. Uh, to really achieve things, we have to all work together and find the best ideas that everyone has and try to build that consensus. Excellent. Thank you very much, Steve. Angela, we'll, we'll go with you. I'll repeat the question. Sorry, I ran a little long there. That was my fault. One of the biggest problems we have from leadership in the Libertarian Party or anywhere really is a failure to admit mistakes or admit when you are wrong. Leaders will double down on a wrong stance rather than admit they made a mistake. Tell us about a massive mistake you made in the Liberty Movement, preferably one you haven't made public yet. And tell us also, um, like, kind of like what Steve said, this is something I'm all for, right? If you have a team around you and the whole team disagrees with you, even though you may be right, it still may be the best course of action in so, some circumstances to go with the team, even if it fails on a minor level, you've got your team's respect and trust. How do you feel about all of that? Okay, so this is a two-part question. Let me answer the right. first part first. Uh, a major mistake I made was in 2017 when I ran for Congress. I just tried to please everyone and be nice with my messaging. And that didn't work out at all. People worked really hard on my campaign and I ended up with like 300 something votes. Now it was like 27 candidates in the election. It was, it was crazy. I got a lot of attention, which was great, but I think I could have done a lot more if I had been more aggressive and uh, principled in my messaging instead of being afraid to upset my progressive friends because they were donating a lot to my campaign. Uh, so that was a, a savage lesson learned. And in 2018, I ran again and I got like thousands of votes instead of a few hundred votes because it didn't pull any punches. Major learning point. Okay, can you repeat the second right. part of your question? Uh, well, like, so if you have an idea or a problem ahead of you, right, and you know or you think that you have absolutely the best idea, but the majority around you disagrees, would you rather go with the majority, even though it might be a minor failure and gain their respect? Or would you rather put your foot down and say, no, we're going to do this and then potentially lose the respect of the team, even if you get the win? So that's a case by case basis. Generally, I think it's better to go with your team. Uh, I think there are a few exceptions. One is if you're going to if they're not privy to some sort of information and you can't give it to them for some reason, like if you're held to confidentiality, uh, you know, if a major donor is upset and you can't talk to them about it yet for some privacy concerns, things like that. So I think that you need to take that case by case, but generally speaking, it's much better to build camaraderie and trust with your team than it is to sacrifice that for a short win. And often when you try to make that short win, your team members are going to sabotage you and be resentful. So it doesn't really work mm -hmm. out anyway. Yep. Yep. Great. And so I'm going to go ahead and throw this up here real quick because I keep seeing it over and over again. Um, Natalie Bruno running for governor of Oklahoma, by the way, I just double check. Everybody's trying to, or not everybody. There's a few people in here trying to find out what your uh, educational background is. I don't know why they're confused, but we'll answer it. Just double check paralegal in degree in organizational leadership pretty said pretty sure you said that earlier. yeah i have a paralegal but. certificate from ucla and i have a bachelor's in organizational leadership and a minor in bible from biola university i've got a bartending certificate from before that if you really want <laughs> my whole list that's awesome all right thank you angela tony you're up are you going to be wrong in the face of being right you're going to go with your team as the chair of the lnc and uh one of the biggest problems we have from leadership in the Libertarian Party, failure to admit mistakes. Tell us, be transparent about one of the biggest mistakes you've ever made. 
Sure. Um, so one of the biggest mistakes I ever made is I, I mentioned earlier, I, I've run two campaigns. My second campaign was for a really small race, hyper local race. It was in my village of East Rochester, New York. I ran for town justice. And I thought I could do it myself because, you know, it's a hyper, hyper local race. Turns out there are as many things to do on a tiny race as there are in a large race. There are still reporting requirements. There are still petitioning requirements. There's, you still have to have a policy platform. And I thought I could do it myself, and I didn't. I didn't have anybody managing my petitioning numbers, and I missed getting on the ballot by one Ooh. signature. That hurt. That hurt, and I had nobody to blame but myself. I still ran a writing campaign. I still did very well. I still made an impact, but I would have made a much greater impact. And, and who knows? Maybe I would have been talking to you in a judge's robe as opposed to um, this <laughs> snazzy-looking jacket. In a hotel. In my day, in my day job, um, I am a CIO, a consultant for hire. So I am frequently brought into organizations not to make friends, but to make a tough decision where everybody on the team is going to be opposed. Sometimes that's, you've got 12 people doing a job that three people can do. We've got to do something else with these nine people or let them go. Sometimes that's the hard decisions that has to be made. I have the experience doing that. I have the experience standing up to a team that is opposed to me and sometimes getting it wrong. Um, sometimes getting, usually getting it right, but sometimes getting it wrong. One of the great things about the LP is that I don't have to be the subject matter expert on everything. There are people who are subject matter, matter experts on messaging, on social media, on fundraising, on candidate support. Yes, I'm going to have input on all those things, but I've got my experts that are going to help me make the decisions that are really going to help us drive liberty in this country. Excellent. Thank you, Tony. So one of the other reasons that I bring that up in regards to listening to the team around you, and, and this is anecdotal evidence, of course, but it's also applicable. And I think it's proven evidence is that you can't possibly understand the entire realm of any situation right at hand, right? You, you can't understand every single perspective that may involve that situation you may have more of an empathetic side to, to that situation, whereas opposed to somebody else might have a more calloused or, you know, I'm throwing out random examples, which you're not supposed to do live, but that's okay. Uh, the point of the matter is, is that when you have a team, you round out the entire brain around it because I, I cannot think of every single best avenue and course of action to take in any given situation. It doesn't matter if I'm supremely expertise in that situation. There are still going to be tiny little cracks and crevices that somebody else could come in and fill that gap that my brain may not be able to comprehend or process the way it needs to be processed. So input from an outside influence that's trustworthy should be paramount. And I think at times we should absolutely step down and say, you know what, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it your way. You know, even if I think I know this, I've done this a thousand times. I feel like I know this, but my team says, look, we got some, we got a different idea. Let's just try it. I'm going to go with it. If it fails, it fails, but at least they know that they can trust me. And moving forward, we have a collective body with a, a giant super brain to move everything forward in one direction. I think that's just extremely important. And what else is important is 
free health care. I don't know how I tied that in there, but it works. Free health care. Free it for free if for freedom. Free health care is a platform to connect libertarian activists with healthcare progressives, introducing them to free market solutions that will dramatically improve access and affordability to free healthcare. Free healthcare also helps to organize smuggling insulin from Mexico to sell it to Americans for almost 90% less than Big Pharma wants. Same brand, same quality. If you are a diabetic or want to help smuggle insulin, head over to freehealthcareamerica.org today. That's freehealthcareamerica.org today. Freehealthcareamerica.org today. Go check them out. I can't attest, by the way. I am a type 1 diabetic. I have a client of mine whom I shall not name. That goes to California every two months. You know what she does? She crosses the border and she gets me medicine because our healthcare industry is in shambles because of the government. So let's dismantle it. You can start by visiting and contributing and seeing if there's something you can do with freehealthcareamerica.org. Go check them out. That is the last ad. That's a lot of them. I'm not sorry for it. I thought it was fun. And we'll move on. So... um. This is a fun one that uh, y'all probably heard before in some context, but we're going to roll with it because it'll be a short answer for you. But uh, maybe we come at it from a different angle here. Did you agree with the Judicial Committee's recent ruling in the Delaware LP case? Explain your answer. We'll start with uh, Steve. The main thing I would just say about that or any other uh issue is that the LNC should by and large stay out of the affairs of the affiliate parties and let them work it out. Um, and I say that from, from sad experience, uh, the LNC during my tenure, both in, as chair and as a uh, director, um, interfered with uh, trying to resolve things in Arizona. And uh, we ended up with uh, not having, having a different candidate other than Harry Brown on the ballot in 2000 because the LNC decided to recognize one affiliate and the state recognized the other one. And the state, the, 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 uh, the state basically said, you know, we don't care who you, uh, recognize, uh, you've got this group has the ballot access. And we had a similar problem when the LNC tried to intervene in, uh, internal fighting in Oregon. And, uh, as unpleasant and messy as it is, Ultimately, the people in that state have to work it out for themselves. Uh, it may end up at a convention that the credentials committee has to make a decision about what to recommend to the body. And ultimately, the body decides in terms of seating delegations. But I have yet to see a case where the LNC, by intervening, made a situation better. Maybe this time will be the first time, but uh, the track record up till now is not very good. Okay. Then, yeah, I... Look, I agree with the most part. I, what I want to know, though, is, and I'll give you another uh, 30 seconds, is specifically in regards to their judicial committee result. I, I that's that I'm not on the LNC. I didn't look at that. Uh, gotcha. Again, my basic thing was they shouldn't have gotten involved, period, gotcha. uh, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Thank you, Steve. Uh, same question, Angela. Uh, yes, I do agree with the Judicial Committee's decision. And full disclosure, I wrote part of that JC appeal. I, I wrote a couple of paragraphs oh. on notice, specifically on notice. The rest of it was already done. 
Um, I think it's very easy to say that we can stay out of state affiliate issues, but when there's a real question about who the rightful affiliate is, at a certain point, we do have to get involved, specifically when they ask us to get involved. I don't believe that it's right for us to go stomping on everyone if they haven't even asked us to get it, to get involved or give an opinion. But uh, who do we list on our website as the affiliate? Which candidates do we link to? Who do we refer people to when they email the volunteer coordinator, Michelle McCutcheon, and say, hey, I want to get involved in Delaware? Those are some issues that we actually have to decide. And for those reasons, also because I think that there is an ethics issue in many of these cases and a clear case of right and wrong, uh, I do believe that when the, when the state affiliates ask us to make a decision, it behooves us to make that decision. Uh, there's not a lot of things that we can do, though, as the LNC. So I do want to make that clear that you need to wait for the state to petition you. You can basically affiliate or disaffiliate someone. And that's sort of about it. I do think that it's a really good role for us to try to play mediation and peacemaker within, rea within the framework of reality. You can't expect people who recalcitrantly hate each other's guts, have sued each other, threatened each other, so on and so forth. You can't expect people like that to just walk into a room and work it out, and that's not realistic. So I want to make sure that I give affiliates the respect and attention that they ask for. And one thing I would have done differently on Delaware is I would have made sure that everybody had read all the documentation before the meeting got started. Uh, I don't think that happened, and it's a shame, and I would never want our affiliates and members to feel disrespected. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Steve's going to, uh, we look, let me kind of use one of those rebuttals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me explain to the audience real quick. So each, each nominee has, uh, or each, I'm sorry, each candidate has two rebuttals throughout the entire debate to, uh, to flag me and give their response. So, uh, Steve, you've knocked one off your list. Go for it, man. You got one minute. I just want to point out that the exact issues that, uh, Angela raised were the case in both, uh, Arizona and Oregon. The affiliates did ask, uh, there was an ask to intervene. Uh, there were the same kinds of issues. The LNC did intervene and ended up making the situation worse in both cases. And so again, and I was in favor of the intervention initially. I mean, I thought that we should in fact get involved and experience has demonstrated that the LNC at least up till now, has not generally made the situation better. What usually happens is the LNC ends up being perceived as favoring one side over the other, and it prevents the two sides from working their differences out together. Um, instead, they look to a higher authority to solve the problem for them. And, uh, you know, higher appeals to a higher governmental authorities don't generally work. I don't think they work so well for us either. Again, that's been our experience. Excellent. Go ahead, Angela figured that was coming. Yeah. Um, I think that if there's irreconcilable differences, we're going to be forced to deal with it one way or the other. And one of the ways that we can deal with that is by wasting a whole bunch of time with credentials challenges at the national convention. I anticipate we might waste half a day with it at the coming convention. And, you know, it is what it is. But part of the way that we can nip that in the bud and address it better is by actually taking a stand and making a decision or at least attempting to make a decision and hearing the affiliates out with, you know, with a noticed meeting. 
And I do stand by that. And I understand that it is difficult and sometimes it does make things worse, but I think that we need the wisdom and judgment to proceed accordingly. And we're called on to make difficult decisions sometimes. And I am ready to make those difficult decisions and to do it openly and transparently. So it doesn't, we'll do our best job to make it look like it, like we're not taking sides. That sometimes you do take a side if you think that one party is right and the other party is wrong. But the best way to remedy that is to be out in the open and public with it so that no one wonders what's going on behind closed doors. But I do acknowledge that it's difficult. Um, I just say that I rise to the challenge. Excellent. Thank you, Angela. Um, and then I'm going to have a response to kind of that in general after Tony. Uh, so, Tony, come on, man. And uh, I'll read the question again for you. Uh, did you agree with the Judicial Committee's recent ruling in the Delaware Libertarian case? Explain your answer. I will. My answer is very clear. The LNC should not be involved in affiliate matters in, in that uh, to that extent. I'm going to say it again just to make sure that the people in back hear it. The LNC should not get involved in affiliate matters. In no case... Has the LNC made a an affiliate problem better? Oregon fixed it themselves. The LNC didn't. Oregon did it them damn selves. Massachusetts worked it out them damn selves. New Hampshire was worse. The current Massachusetts situation is worse. The Delaware situation is worse. All because the LNC got involved and they did it in a half-assed way. I'm sorry, I'm going to cuss at this one. They did it in a half-assed way. The JC should have never been put in that position. It was ridiculous that the JC was ever put in that position. There are so many other ways that this could have been handled. And look, I'm going to speak now from the heart here for a minute. Speaking specifically the Delaware side, there are I have friends on both sides of that. Right now, we have two Delaware parties. I don't care what the JC said. There's a Delaware party that has ballot access and a Delaware party that has delegate access, and they're both going to send delegates to the convention, and there are going to have to be decisions made, and they're going to go to the floor. So now the LNC has put us in a position where we've created a problem at our convention. It's ridiculous that we're even in this position. We shouldn't even be in this position. State affiliates are supposed to be autonomous. If we want to jump in and say, hey, we'll help you arbitrate it, but you're solving it yourselves, that's okay. I'm okay offering that on a personal basis. But affiliates need to solve their own problems. They're supposed to be autonomous. Okay. Excellent answer. Thank you, Tony. I love your passion. And we're gonna get we're gonna actually flesh this out a little bit more. But I actually want to hear if you regardless of whether or not the committee, the LNC is supposed to be involved in affiliate matters. Did you agree with the judicial committee's decision? Based on, based on the pile of crap that was handed to the um, judicial committee by the LNC. Yeah. It's the only decision they could have made. Right. Okay. Excellent. All right. So let me come back over here real quick and I'll ask you that. Okay. So um, Angela made the case and correct. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You're not using a flag or not, as I go through y'all real quick. Uh, the flag is just for interrupting each and every one of you. And maybe we'll add a few more onto that because I'm liking where this is going now. Um, Angela has made the case that there are instances, if called upon, basically is what, you, what she was saying, if called upon, that the LNC would step in and try to help facilitate 
certain issues. Um, Steve and Tony both said the LNC should not be involved in these proceedings or, or in with affiliates and, and state affiliates and all that. So why would we have a judicial committee then? And Steve, I saw you raise your hand, so we'll start with you. Why yeah, would we have actually, a judicial committee? I was going to address a slightly different question, but I'll, I'll address that one as well. I think that what Tony said is the, is the correct view is that uh, if the both sides want the LNC to, or somebody from the LNC to help them arbitrate or try to mediate the situation, that's one thing. Um, but one side coming to the LNC and asking them to do a ruling, which then becomes a club to use on the other side. And again, it doesn't matter which way it goes. Uh, the LNC should respectfully decline to involve themselves uh, in that. And can you re repeat the other part that you asked? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if if the LNC isn't supposed to be getting involved in these types of matters, why do we have a judicial committee? Anyway? Uh, the judicial committee is there when, in the, and this is just in general, if the if there's a view that the LNC has made a decision that steps outside what the bylaws uh, empower them. For, for example, uh, the bylaws say you cannot disaffiliate uh, an affiliate within six months of a convention. So let's say that a, a, a the uh, LNC took actions that were disaffiliating an affiliate five months from a convention, that might get appealed to the judicial committee and the judicial committee would look and say, yeah, you can't do that. That that violates the bylaws. So the judicial committee is looking at LNC actions and did the actions of the LNC ex exceed their authority under the bylaws? That's what the and that's that's not limited to affiliate issues. It's any LNC decision that uh, steps outside of its bounds. Okay, did, now let me ask you this: Does that fall directly in conflict with what you said earlier when you said mm -hmm. the LNC shouldn't be involved in any way in? Um... Uh, no, what I said was that the LNC shouldn't have been involved. There shouldn't have been anything to take to the judicial committee because the LNC shouldn't have gotten involved in the decision in the first in the first place. I got you. What happened is the LNC did take action and that act or did take steps, and that was what was appealed to the judicial committee. Got you. Thank you, Steve. Angela, we'll pull you up next. Um yep. you you was I wrong in my assessment there that you were saying if there be if you're asked to be involved then you were going to step in and facilitate in the ways that you need to. And then same question. Um, if, if the LNC's job is to do absolutely nothing. And I think Steve corrected me there a little bit. It was a great answer, Steve. Thank you. But, but why would we even have a judicial committee if you're not supposed to be involved at all? Yeah, Steve is correct. There are other issues for the judicial committee to decide besides state affiliate issues. Um, also members can appeal to the JC. You can get a petition. You've got to have a certain percentage of delegates to the former, the most recent state convention or a percentage of national members. Uh, a prime example is when our former chair, Joe Bishop Hinchman resigned. Some people did not like how the next chair appointment was handled. Some people thought it should be that the vice chair, Ken Mullman, automatically becomes the chair. And that's something that the members can petition the JC about because the LNC did end up with a ruling on that. Um, and a little bit more on on Delaware and Massachusetts, because that's going to be coming down the pipeline too, is how do you, how do you ask affiliates to work it out when half of the party has been kicked out? It's, if there's just regular level infighting and people are upset and mad about something that someone said on Twitter or the way someone acted at a convention, that's one thing. But when you've got half of the party literally kicked out and they're no longer allowed to be members, 
that's a real challenge. And they're greatly disadvantaged as to how they can quote unquote work that out. So those are a couple of things that I think the, the JC can be involved in. And obviously it's up to them too, if they want to hear something, right. they actually, they have a say in it as well. Excellent. Thank you, Angela. And then uh, last up, Tony. Um, I agree. There's plenty for a JC to do um, when it comes to national membership and the, the makeup of, of the, of the LNC um, without having them get involved in, in state, in state, in state activities. I will say that I personally, not necessarily as chair, but if, if there are groups in these states that are having this type of conflict, I, as member of the Libertarian Party, am more than happy to try to help them um, arbitrate. And any of our tens of thousands of members may be able to do the same thing even more effectively than me. Um, at the end of the day, we now have two groups of Libertarians in Delaware who are, I'm going to go back to my lemonade stand analogy, throwing <laughs> lemons at each other when really we've all got a common enemy and that's the cult of the omnipotent state. Amen. I want us to do everything we can to focus our energy, focus our fight on the cult of the omnipotent state and not on each other. Amen. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, unfortunately, we are going to have to barrel through some of these judicial committees and bickering and fighting. That's just going to happen. But um, hopefully we can take it step by step and one foot in front of the other and fight the state and not each other. It's going to take one foot in front of the other. It's not going to be some overnight, uh, just magnificent reign of unity and, you know, the day everybody leaves Reno, right? So, but what we have to do is focus on, even if it's single issue coalitions, I talk about this all the time, whatever we can do to make sure we're putting our community in the best place, we got to stop our fighting, which I think we should stop. It's pretty ridiculous. We're looking at nuclear war. Uh, there's literally food shortages coming. That's coming from the highest people on the planet, including Joe Biden. We really don't have time for this. So as best as we can, we need to put that aside. And like Tony said, fight the omnipotent state. Absolutely 100%. But we're going to have to deal with this stuff. And you guys are going to be at the head of uh, trying to untangle this bag of snakes that is judicial committee stuff and state affiliates. And it's just part of it. So I think all of three of you had some fantastic answers. There were somewhat um, dissenting opinions, which I really, really love. So I hope we can continue that. But we're going to go ahead and move on to the next question. One of the single most powerful forms of activism any libertarian can do is to petition. Whether it is to get a candidate or a referendum item on the ballot, collecting signatures is difficult but much needed work. Tell us how many signatures you've collected over the years. I would like a number. And for which specific areas. This is all publicly verifiable, so please be honest. And uh, we'll go ahead and start with you, Angela. Okay. I have no idea how many signatures I've actually collected. I don't have a count. I will have a count possibly this weekend on the initiative. I can tell you what I've collected for. I have collected for the SB 277 referendum in 2015. That was to repeal the law that eliminated religious exemptions for public and private school uh, children's vaccinations. And it also greatly limited the number of medical exemptions people could have. 
So I did a lot of signature collecting for that, and it was really, really rough. I have done a lot of signature collecting for the CCHI Cannabis Hemp Legalization Initiative that was in 2015 and 2016. I have collected signatures both times that I ran for Congress in order to get on the ballot. Now, I only had to collect 40, 40 legitimate signatures each for those two particular items, but I collected about 80 each because, you know, the, the registrar recorder likes, likes to throw your signatures out. I've collected signatures for several other um, state assembly campaigns as well. I found that generally it's, it's very helpful to have a girl go with you if you're a guy, especially if you're not clean shaven. So I've helped two candidates with that. Um, I've collected signatures for our medical freedom initiative in LA. I'll be tabling at a major event for that this weekend as well. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I really don't know. I would say it's over a thousand, but I, I'm just totally right. making it, making a guess. No, I would much rather you be transparent than be a politician. So. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just guessing. No, that's great. That's great. Thank you. Um, let me address something real quick here in the comment section. Look, there's probably close to a thousand people watching, uh, and there will be thousands of people that watch this, and there are hundreds of comments already. Um, I, I'm sorry. I, I just cannot get to all of your questions. There's just no way. So um, with this many comments in the comment section, I am trying to throw up their good comments, and if there's a good question, that I can see, I will absolutely get it on there and ask everybody. But um, just please understand that there, there is a lot of traffic on this show right now, and I just can't possibly get to you all. It's not, it's nothing personal. So um, just please, please, please understand. Uh, Steve, we'll go with you next, man. Uh, petitions, how many have you done? Which areas? You're on mute, Steve. Fail. <laughs> You're on mute, Steve. Yep. <laughs> uh, left uh, yeah, I, I ran for office left. Seven, seven times right. in Indiana and collected signatures for all of those races. Uh, involved Clark had collected signatures for Ed Clark in uh, 1979, uh, 80, when uh, that, that was when I first got involved with the party and um, probably collected them during a, in 84 when uh, Berglund, uh, well, well, that's right, because we didn't, Berglund didn't get it. No, he did get on. So we had to collect them. In, no, we didn't. We didn't have to collect them in 84 because <laughs> I had run for Secretary of State in 82 and I got ballot status. So we didn't have to collect in 84. Of course, they quadrupled the requirements. So then we had to start petitioning again. Um, so most of my petitioning would have been in that time frame. Uh, by the time 1994 rolled around, uh, we get regained ballot status in Indiana. So from that point on, we didn't have to uh, petition. And then... Uh, I came to the national headquarters and was involved in, man in managing nationally the, the ballot drives and making sure that we were getting on the ballot. Uh, and most of the time we were there 12 hours a day. So there wasn't much time left over by the time we got done. Wow. Gotcha. Excellent. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I couldn't pull up. Well, I was only born in 83, but uh, 80, 1982, you're pulling up stats. That's pretty impressive. I, I I don't even know what I ate for dinner last night. Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> I don't know what I ate for dinner either. Um, so it's a it's a bit more of a complicated answer for me. Um, I mean, I can give you the simple one. I, I I've I've 
collected several thousand for myself, for Alex Merced, for um, U.S. Senate, for Gary Johnson, for Joe Jorgensen, for Larry Sharp, for governor. And I'm going to be doing it again here coming up pretty quickly. Uh, Larry Sharp for governor. He's running for New York governor, one, one of our great gubernatorial candidates. He's coming on a week from today, everybody. I'll make that pitch again. Larry Sharp coming on the Cajun Libertarian live in a week. I didn't mean to take your time, Tony. Sorry. No, no, no worries. And, and I'm going to take I'm going to take 10 seconds of my time to um, tell everybody that another one of our gubernatorial candidates, Natalie Bruno, is looking for a campaign manager. I'm reading the comments. But right. um, but it's a little bit more of a complicated question because, for example, when I was running for Congress, we had bifurcate what was no, what's known as bifurcated petitioning. So I was carrying a petition for myself, but I might have three or four petitioners who were carrying one for uh, for Gary Johnson and Alex Merced, or I might have somebody who was carrying a petition for a state um, a state uh, candidate for a state assembly who I couldn't carry. So yes, I'm out there getting thousands of petitions, several thousands. I would probably say over the years between four and five thousand signatures. But I mean, who? We'd have to look look through public records for that one. But right. I'm also facilitating people around me, a lot of whom are a lot better at, at petitioning than I am, um, to collect signatures for other candidates as well. It's 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 that group effort that um, really helps out. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and that, that's another reason just going back to the leadership part of it. And thank you, Tony. That was excellent. Um, going back to the leadership part of it, this is one of those things where – there is no getting away from you have to have a team. That team has to respect you. If a team doesn't respect you, you don't have a team. You have you will have enemies at some point, um, regardless of if you're wearing the same mascot in the political arena or not. And so this stuff is massively, massively important. Uh, we just have a few more questions left, so let's go ahead and get to them. <clears throat> no, wait, did I get it? <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Did I get everybody on that? Oh, yeah, yeah everybody answered. Okay. Um, when discussing the 22 convention in Reno this May, the single word I hear people say the most is shit show. Why do you think many libertarians feel this way? And how would you persuade them to feel otherwise? I'm also going to attach a secondary uh, part to this question to be much more specific about the infighting. Um, and I'll ask each one of you individually, you know, what your plan is to heal some of this fracture that's going on because, and I'm a rant for a little bit, but we'll clean this up as we get through the, uh, the questions with each other. What I see a lot of is people that are, are just so focused. They, they, they got this um, tunnel vision on these labels and whatnot, you know, they're anti-caucus, they're pro-caucus, they're this, they're that. How do you intend to pull people and unite people together to where even if it's just, hey, look, we got to get this one thing done. Let's all calm down. Let's get our act together and let's make some stuff happen. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm speaking widely to just being able to unify people, but we need a more specific uh, pathway into that. And so what we have to look at is how are they thinking? Why are they feeling this way? And how can you as the chair and, you know, representing the the LNC as a whole, how do y'all plan to create a pathway forward into developing communication specifically that will help heal the fracture that we have in this party that it could just just kill us completely? Uh, we'll start with you, Angela. Okay, this is something um, I'm very passionate about. So 
it was how do you intend to pull people together and unite people? And then there was second half of the question. Can I, can I get that Correct. again? Yep. How do you plan on um, being able to, to get people to communicate with each other and to heal the fracture and divide? And then also uh, most people see the Reno convention in May as a shit show. Why do you think they feel this way? And how do we plan on changing their minds? Okay. Because 2020 was a shit show. We wasted an entire day arguing about credentialing. So people are anticipating that it's going to be the same thing. We're just going to have a different fight this year, which is over which states are the rightful affiliates. So my advice is to spend less time arguing on the microphone. It's not your soapbox. If somebody's already repeated essentially what you think, you don't have to get up there and reiterate it uh, 10 more times. That's going to help with the shit show element. Um, how do I intend to pull people together and unite people? Uh, something that I feel very strongly about is effective leadership. And that's not something that anybody talks about. And, and it's very frustrating because we desperately need it in the LP. And there are a lot of different types of leadership and you use them depending on the different types of people you're working with and the different types of situations. Directive leadership, supportive leadership style, uh, participative or collaborative leadership and achievement focused leadership. Uh, there's probably too much for me to go into right now, but understanding what type of leadership style to use, depending on what project you're working on, what you're trying to accomplish and who you're working with is very important. And generally the way that you navigate that is that's uh, by different people's need for affiliation and camaraderie, uh, some people's preference for structure and orderliness, uh, someone's whether someone has an internal or external locus of control and someone's self-perceived level yeah. of task ability. Now, it may not sound like this is related to infighting, but I believe that it is because it is. we need to shift our attention on our alliances and start shifting that towards finishing the work. And once we actually become like achievement and progress and, and project oriented, you're going to start to see some of the fighting shift from petty infighting to fighting over who is more qualified. And those sort of fights are less nasty and they're less personal. And so that's something that I'm going to be doing is focusing attention on that while also being very mindful of how I interact with, with the LNC and the members at large, depending on what their immediate needs are, if they have trust issues, if they're a little bit aggro and defensive, uh, if they feel sort of out of control, um, if they're underachievers or if they're overachievers. I hope that answers your question. No, no. Uh, you actually touched on some really good things. So I'm going to follow up with that, actually. I love how you lay that out. Here's uh, the on a superficial level, the first problem, the first red flag. That It's not a red flag, but mm -hmm. the first issue I see you running into is you, if you have you have this great plan and it sounds good hypothetically, but mm -hmm. how can you recruit everyone? Cause it's going to take the entire libertarian party from you down to the LNC down to the delegates. All it has to trickle. It has to have a yeah. trickle down effect. So we need to recruit everybody into this uh, format and plan that you have. And so the leaders that are up under you, they're the ones that you're going to have to convince and they're going to have to convince the people under them. So how is that possible? Oh, so one of the ways that you do that is by working through change management. And there are different phases of change that you have to really um, articulate and explain to people. So change management is the process of moving an organization from its current state to a desired future state. And when you get pushback from different people, it usually it kind of mimics different stages of, of grief. So like shock, denial, frustration, depression, uh, bargaining, a final decision and integration. 
And so what you have to do is be able to navigate some of those changes, all of those changes really with everyone. And part of how I've done that is by getting as much buy-in from as many members of the party as possible. So the, the low hanging fruit, right, is people in the Mises caucus, but then you have to move on to people who are like friendly and, and allies and explain what you're interested in doing and get them on board. And then you move on to people who are neutral. And then you move on to people who are skeptics. And then if you're really on a roll, you move on to recalcitrant haters. Uh, you don't know until you try. And so that's what I have been doing. And it's what I'll continue to do. And when I teach these skills to other people on the LNC, they can go out and do the same thing. So then instead of being combative and looking like you're trying to ram your way through, what you're really doing is bringing people on board and empowering them and telling them, hey, I need your help. I need your input. And that's how you get buy-in and that's how you get cultural cohesion within a nationwide organization. And while this might all seem overwhelming and scary, trust me, it's not because there are giant, giant corporations and other political parties and, and nonprofits that do this all the time and they're successful. And I think that we've got the best and the brightest within the LP. So if they can do it, we can do it too. Excellent. Thank you, Angela. And let me say this real quick. Um, I apologize to everyone. I'm not, this is the first time I've ever held a debate. So when I hear stuff and I want to grab a hold of it, I, I go into me mode, which is like kind of like, I want to hear what you have to say about this because I'm used to just having one-on-one -on -one conversations and interviews. I will stop running my mouth as much as I can and let you guys present yourself because this is the, the format that we're in right now. So, and then maybe we can look at interview in a one-on-one -on -one situation with each of each and every one of y'all later. So uh, Steve, let's go. I'm going to bring you on. When discussing the 2022 convention in Reno this May, the single word I hear the most people say is shit show. Why do you think many libertarians feel this way and how would you persuade them to feel otherwise? Well, they, they see that there's conflict going on. They, they expect it to be reflected in, uh, in Reno, and I'm sure they'll be solid there. There have been conflicted conventions all throughout our history, so this is nothing new. Um, it won't be as bad as people. It won't the 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 shit show aspect of it is not going to be as bad as people think. Uh, as far as minimizing it, uh, basically just take you know you need it to say the say your piece, take the votes, and move on. Um, you know, spending another hour or hour discussing the thing, same things you've already beaten to death is not going to change the outcomes. So everybody say their piece, take a vote, move on. You get through the uh, decisions that have to be made, whether you like the outcomes or not. Um, I, I really have to disagree with the approach that that um, Angela talked in terms of trying to build, uh, eliminate infighting, because it was basically built around starting with the assumption that my group is correct, and then will gradually get people to buy into my view. And that shows a lack of respect for people who may, in fact, be completely opposed to you. And you have to reach out and listen to those people. And maybe they have something to offer. And so you need a diverse committee, not one that is all aligned together, shutting out a large chunk of the party. And you need to list everybody needs to respect each other and listen to each other. When I served as chair, our committee was split roughly equally between radicals and pragmatists, but we all wanted the party to succeed. We all wanted the party to give up, be professional. We just had to listen to each other in terms of making sure that the messaging and the, the things we were doing were in the overlap area that people could agree on. And that really involves not thinking that 
I've got the best way and everybody else needs to come to what I'm doing, but rather how do we find common ground for the party as a whole that the party as a whole can unite behind and uh, not assuming that any one of us has all the answers because we don't. Yep. All right. Uh, Angela's got a rebuttal to that. So we'll bring her on. Okay. So I take offense to that. Um, I'm not showing anyone a lack of respect. What I'm showing is effective leadership. And it's something that we don't experience in this party very often, unfortunately, because we tend to conflate leadership with authoritarianism. And that's unfortunate, but it's not true. And that's why we often spin our wheels. Um, getting people's buy-in and explaining the stages of change management also includes active listening, listening to people and having them collaborate. And one of the things that I've been very clear about is that when we get in after Reno and we're all seated on board, what we're gonna be doing is working together. So it's not going to be me barking orders at people. It will be a collaborative process. But ultimately, I'm in the driver's seat, and I have to make sure that that happens. And the way that I do that is by facilitating dialogue and conversations and steering us in the right direction, not being a, uh, a jerk on the board. Thank you, Angela. Steve, did you have a rebuttal? I'm going to give each of you all another couple. Just, just real quick. Uh, I think, for example, it starts with things as simple as uh, committee structures, uh, committees. When you're building a committee, you don't just put that the people that agree with you on that committee. You need to have people that reflect diverse views when you put on that committee. And then you're more likely to get something that the group can uh, go behind. Uh, as for leadership styles, well, I, I went talked earlier about the growth in membership, the growth in fundraising, the growth of media. So I think I've proven that that type of leadership style works. Um, so I think I'll, I'll end it there. That'll work. Um, and we're closing out here. We only got a couple of questions left and I want to get to Tony, but I'm going to allow, um, both of y'all to just do on that. And if you want to come back with a response to each other again, after Tony's feel free, we got time. Tony, your, your answer to the question of why libertarians call it a shit show and how you plan to communicate a message of unification downstream? Those are two very, very different questions. I think the reason that people um, think that the convention is, a, as, as you have so eloquently put it, a shit show, is because the convention oversight committee is necessarily not that transparent because they're negotiating contracts. There are reasons why they shouldn't be. And, and people see that lack of transparency and go, oh, there must be something shady going on. And then little pieces of information leak out, like oh, this logo, which is which is terrible, and little little tempests in a teapot just blow up um, in that in that um, in that um, arena. There is a lack of trust in things that the LNC um, that that they've done, and and it's going to take some time to build that back up. Um, there there are two things that that um, I would. I would say to unify the party. And the first thing that we need to do um, as libertarians is stop treating other libertarians as the enemy. I'm going to read everybody something that every national member signed. We, the members of the libertarian party challenge the cult of the omnipotent state and defend the rights of the individual. Defend the rights of the individual. 
Not everybody's going to see liberty in the same way. We need to stop treating people who don't quite see it exactly like we do as an enemy and figure out ways that we can work together. The second thing we need to do is start acting more like a professional organization, which is something I've heard all three of us say. We need to act professionally. Yep. That means that we need to change management. We need risk management. I haven't heard, we haven't really talked much about risk mitigation, but there are several aspects of of LP employment that are that are a risk. We've had data loss. We've had we have people who don't trust the data um, that the um, LP holds um, on a national level. Um, right or wrong, there's that lack of trust. When we stop treating people like enemies and start treating them like human beings with emotions um, that may see things a little bit differently in a Big Ten party, we're going to come together a little bit more naturally. And I'll be doing that from the front. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Tony. Did uh, did anybody else have a rebuttal to anybody? Yeah, I have a couple of points to make that I think are really interesting. Uh, we've had diverse views on the current LNC. And while maybe it's the exception, not the rule, it's been a disaster. We've had a huge chunk of the LNC quit or attempt to quit, you know, rage quit and walk out of meetings, lots of crying and tears over the last year. And it's been really ugly. And I don't think that everybody involved on the LNC and not everybody involved in committee work and, and so on and so forth needs to be all members of the same caucus. But we do need to be more closely ideologically aligned because we've been having really bad breakdowns over the direction of the party. For example, we didn't have strong messaging on lockdowns because people weren't in agreement we, because we had such a wide, diverse range of opinions. And that's unfortunate, uh, but, but that's something that I'm gonna be working to change. And while it doesn't mean that I'm gonna literally only nominate Mises Caucus people to the board, there are already people that I've endorsed who are not even members of the caucus. It does mean that I think that we need to be somewhat in alignment on our vision and our goals. And I, I think that's very important to note. Excellent. Uh, did anybody have anything to say? Because my next question is something that exactly falls in line with what she just said. Go ahead. I mean, you can just go ahead. Sure. Go, just no. go ahead with the next question. We got time, Steve, if you want to rebut, man. I think I've already made the points that I'm making that I've made before. I just would be that, that whole thing about uh, when the arguments have been made, move on. I think that's, that's right. appropriate here. Okay. Excellent. I want to make sure I give everybody the fair amount of time and, and be non-biased as possible. So that is what Angel just said has a great play into this uh, last kind of contentious question, I guess. Does a caucus play a role in the LNC more specifically um, with the chair and Steve, we'll start with you. Well, I'm not a member of any of the caucuses, uh, other than the, the get fit caucus. I'm, I'm trying to drop the weight down a little bit. Um, I think the main thing is that anybody who is serving in leadership in the LP needs to put the libertarian movement and the libertarian party first and whatever considerations they have for their caucus second or third. Um, I mean, the caucuses are fine for, you know, trying to advance a particular idea. You know, the, the, the pragmatist, the former pragmatist caucus wants us to be more pragmatic in our, our uh, messaging and the radical caucus wants us to be more radical in our messaging. You know, that, that kind of thing's fine. But um, 
when it gets to be the point where you're only voting for people that are members of your caucus and you're excluding anybody else who's not, when it gets to that point where the caucus comes first, I think that is uh, not, not good for the success and advancement of the party. Uh, Tony put it really well about the we are the we defend we challenge the cult of the omnipotent state and defend the rights of the individual, and we need to be individuals as libertarians. We should be delegates in Reno should be making individual decisions, deciding for ourselves who do we want in positions, what do we want the platform to say, what do we want the bylaws to say, not be looking to see what marching orders have been sent down to us from some leadership of some group or another. And I don't care what group it is. I don't care what side it's on. I don't care if it's left or right or radical or pragmatist. We need to each, as a delegate, we need to be at that convention and making our own judgments based on what we hear and what we see and what we know. And hopefully collectively, we will come to kind of find the the best possible outcome that we can with that group of people in that room. And, you know, frankly, let's leave the power of politics to the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, we don't need to have that kind of left-right style of, of divide uh, tearing our party apart as well. Uh, again, they can have it. Amen. Totally agree. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Tony, you're up next. Does the caucus have a role in the LNC and more specifically the chair? Well, I would be remiss to, to, to say that, um, that the Waffle House caucus should absolutely have a role um, be, because, you know, if you're not eating your hash browns, then um, you can't be dare you. How dare I? I? I personally go for the waffles. Libertarian um, seafood caucus. Um, <laughs> plain, though, not spiced. Um, Eskimo Libertarian for Life. Oh um, oh team Eskimo. Uh, so, <laughs> so in all seriousness, um, I've you know we're all humans. Um, call them caucuses, calling voting blocks, call them whatever the hell you want. They're going to yeah. exist. You're not going to legislate them out. Of, uh, uh, you're not going to legislate them out. The chair's job is to be somewhat impartial and work with all the caucuses, all the members as individuals. I haven't seen a single caucus, and and I'm not really a member of any any of those caucuses. I, I associated with members of all of the major caucuses right now. I haven't seen a single caucus where the libertarians that are members of them are a monolith. Um, it's it's not like, and I'll pick on Mises because I know that's the caucus that everybody's thinking of. So let's just call let's just call them out. They're not a monolith. They are individuals. The Prags were individuals. The Radical Caucus are individuals. Uh, and I'm sure members of that caucus would, would agree that they're probably fighting with each other right, right now. Um, we are individuals as libertarians. And we need to start looking at ourselves that way, I suppose, um, and, look, and seeing other members um, of the party's libertarians. That is especially important for the chair. Caucuses are great for pushing issues. If there's a caucus that wants us to focus on a particular 
um, economics issue. Um, I know there's both a pro-life and a pro-choice caucus. Right. Um, so there, there are caucuses that are, that's what they're great at pushing issues. And, but beyond that, we're individuals. Um, and we, as libertarians respect that. Excellent. Thank you very much, Tony. Angela, you're up. Does the caucus play a role in the LNC and more specifically the chair? Um, I'm trying to think how, like, does the caucus play a role? Can you, can you give me a little bit more on that? Cause I want to give you like the best answer possible. So I, I snatched this uh, question out of the comment section and there's okay. so, so deep. I wish I could have, okay. well, the last two questions sure. are actually from the comment section, but um, I, I'm, I'm not sure who said it, but I would say what they probably mean. And I'm assuming is does a caucus have a role in influencing how the LNC should operate or how the chair should operate in making certain decisions. That's kind of what I'm extrapolating from that. Got it. So decisions are going to be made by the people in the LNC, not by like the Mises caucus. Like there's no one behind me pulling right. strings like a marionette. Um, <laughs> I will say that I will be resigning all of my positions in the Mises caucus once I'm elected. Uh, legally, I have to do that anyway. So that means that I'll no longer be on the National Mises Caucus board. I won't be on the PAC board. I won't be chairing the California Mises Caucus because we have our own state level PAC for candidates and, and whatnot. I won't be the California organizer. Um, I'm not getting rid of my affiliation because that would be disingenuous. And I want to be very transparent and out in the open that, that I'm in alignment with the Mises Caucus on our, on our goals and our values and our, and our issues. Um, but that doesn't mean that every person that I put on the board is going to be in the Mises caucus. That's, that's not true. In fact, I've endorsed some people for different positions who are not in the caucus right now, and I'm happy to work with them. Uh, I, for the, by the same token, I'd also love to get Steve's help with fundraising and, and Tony's help maybe with IT or learning management systems. Um, and when it comes to caucuses, like really what we're trying to do is achieve a political outcome. And I believe in free association. And I think that that's really important. And by the same token, I respect anybody else who has the same feelings and, and works within a different caucus. And I welcome them to try to influence me with my decisions and, and try to achieve their own outcomes. It's politics and that's just how it goes. Yeah. The yeah. difference being that I wanna be very above the table and open and transparent about it so that everybody knows you know, who brought this proposal, where did this idea come from and, and so on and so forth. I hope that answers the question. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. And um, I honestly, I, I assume that that was probably geared towards the Mises caucus, but we have other caucuses and there's other reasons to ask that question. So it, it, for, on my end, it has nothing to do with the Mises caucus and everything to do with how we're making decisions as an LNC and as an LNC chair, um, regardless of whatever caucus or faction or, or anything. I just thought it was a good question that we could um, extrapolate a guy, a, a lot of content out of so um we'll end with this what is your proudest accomplishment tony we'll start with you and tony's on mute yeah, and i've seen him yeah i've seen you post in the comment section that you said you were still tied for first with me who only muted once so i win of course i do this all the time so i didn't really count go ahead yeah 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 yeah. Also, you had the muddy waters um, audio problems too. So there is that. So there is that. 
Yeah. So, um, are, are you talking about my proudest <laughs> achievement in the liberty movement? Yeah, man. What? Yeah. What's your proudest accomplishment? You can give us your uh, your your generic proudest accomplishment. Well, not to say that. No. It's I'm sorry. I should have said that. Give us your give us your most uh, proudest accomplishment within the liberty movement. And if you want to give us another more proudest accomplishment, give us that too. I, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a proud accomplishment from my professional life, and I'll give you one from 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 the liberty movement. And I'll start with the professional one because I'm actually kind of proud of this. I, um, in my early days of IT, um, I, I used to work for 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 um, a public school district. Um, I'm ashamed, but um, <laughs> but in all but in all seriousness, I was separated from the politics. I was completely focused on the ones and zeros and yeah. I was a young libertarian back then. I wouldn't go back. But one of my proudest moments was one of my very first days I went into a classroom and there were they just gotten computers in these classrooms and they were having some trouble with sound and it was an art class. Uh, I went into this art class and um, I fixed their computer and while I was in there a class of kids came in and that sometimes happened so I had to be very quiet over there and then kind of slip out and I, I i waved to the teacher saying you're all set and, and was walking out she put her hand finger up and said class this man fixed our computer let's give him a round of applause you've never felt professional accomplishment until you can see 26 year old kids giving you a round of applause for just doing your job right <laughs> and i try to take that um into my current my current position i, I still i work still work in education just looking at what I'm doing right now in my professional life, helping streamline schools, helping to make education happen better and, you know, more efficiently for students. It, it's, it's for students. So I, I'm very proud of that, that, that student focus that I have in my career. On the Liberty side, um, I'm proud of what I the, what I accomplished as chair of the um, LPNY, um, bringing together um, warring factions. I'm proud of all the candidates that I've helped get on the ballot. I'm proud of all the liberty um, that I've gotten in the news. Um, I'm particularly proud of that piece that the uh, L, the LNC picked up because I got it right, um, and and they were dropping the ball on it. I'm very very proud of that. Um, but I couldn't do it alone either. Um, there's a great team um, on the, uh, on the. there's a great LPNY team. We have people who are doing fundraising. We have people who are doing um, candidate support. We have people who are doing political outreach that I recognize I'm not going to be the subject matter expert in everything. Um, and it's I'm, I'm really happy that we have people who, who are out there doing that that can do it better than me. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing your heart there, Tony. Appreciate that. Steve, proudest accomplishment, man. On or off the field. <laughs> uh, I like to say on or well, off. I think there's a couple that I wanted to mention. Um, one was um, during the uh, the Jorgensen campaign. Um, I was uh, on a campaign event in uh, Kentucky, and a number of people from Indiana were down. Indiana is where I got involved with the party. I'd been involved there for you know 20 years, been the state chair a couple times, You know, very active there. And some people from Indiana came up to me and saw my name and said, oh, you know, Steve Dasbach, are you related to Stephanie? 
I'm going, well, yes, she's my daughter. Oh, yes. Turns out she was one of the key people in the rainwater campaign. Uh, my son was doing the IT back work, uh, back room work. They had no idea who I was, but they knew who they were because they were actively involved in the, uh, the rainwater campaign. In fact, and I learned that they were involved. I'd learned a little bit before that by reading in social media. I was like, oh, they're involved with the LP there. Cool. So, uh, you know, seeing your kid, the next generation uh, step forward and uh, pick up the ball is uh, really uh, just a really incredible feeling. Um, the other one was I, I mentioned about doing fundraising for um, some theater groups. And um, one of the theater groups had to replace all of their uh, microphones because the federal government was taking away the frequencies and giving them to the military or some such thing. And so... We sent out a fundraising letter, did fantastic well, had like a 30% response rate, $86 average contribution, I mean, the highest I've ever gotten on any kind of direct mail piece. And the basic theme was the federal government's screwing us over. So we need, to, need your help to be able to uh, keep our microphones operating because of what the federal government is doing to us, to a group of liberals. So uh, that was kind of fun. Nice. That's awesome. Very good. Thank you very much, Steve. Angela, proudest accomplishments on and off the field. Okay, so I think there's two. One was successfully defending Basilico's restaurants during the lockdowns. Basilico's never yes. closed for a single day, and they never even allowed anyone in with a mask. So Gavin Newsom sent alcoholic beverage control to strip them of their liquor license and I got the pleasure of defending them in administrative court. Uh, for those of you who have this like weird idea that I'm a paralegal and I lie about practicing in court, paralegals can practice in administrative court. So you can take that, you know, settle down on your rumor, rumor mill. Um, so that was a really incredible win and they ended up not getting their license stripped. And um, I think the other one just happened, which is helping to get LA's vaccine mandate overturned. We applied so much political pressure with our initiative, we went viral on local media. We got the LP just at the very top, like leading the charge. The, the GOP just was non-existent in this battle. And we got everybody in LA who was interested in medical freedom looking up to us. I think those are those are definitely like my proudest libertarian moments. Maybe some of the maybe some of my best accomplishments ever. That's amazing and very recent. That's awesome. So we're gonna close out here. As we do, I will give each of you an opportunity to ask each of you a question. If you want to ask a 30 second question with a 60 second response. Um, does anybody have any questions for, for any of the candidates? Yeah, I do. Go ahead, Angela. Okay. So if I'm elected chair, would either of you be interested in working with me at the national level? Uh, I'm happy to work with uh, anybody on whatever I can assist with, uh, both at national level and state level. Um, so, where, as I said, this I'm, I do this stuff uh, full time now. So wherever I'm needed, that's where I go. Awesome. Excellent question too, because all three of you are going to be and already are and already have been absolutely magnificent assets. So we have to. Steve, did you have a question for anybody else? Um, I guess I have a question for Angela. Just uh, you mentioned about the strategic planning process. 
roughly how long do you think that uh, how do you, long do you envision that uh, taking with the uh, with the LNC before you would get to a point where you had uh, uh, that uh, that plan ready to uh, go forward? I'm aiming for about three months and I'm already working with a lot of the other candidates. I've, I've spoken with a lot of candidates who are who are running for different positions to show it to them, to get them on board with it. Uh, and same with a lot of state affiliates. So the work is being done now. And I anticipate after Reno, it will take about three months, probably a lot more meetings initially. We're gonna work harder, but then we're gonna work smarter. Amen. Tony, did you have any questions for anybody? Yeah, I have a question for Cajun Libertarian. Why the hell don't I get to answer either of those questions? I'll tell you why, Tony, because you know what? I've spent a lot of time with you on Clubhouse and on the internet. And you know what? Damn it. Turn off your mic when you're not speaking. And then turn it back on when you're going <laughs> to. I'm just kidding. Uh, go ahead. Respond. This is kind of an open format as we close it out, man. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I, 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 it, would not be a, it would not be a debate if I didn't bust somebody's balls. Um, to, to answer the questions. It's going to be a long, slow process to to repair the LNC. It's it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a lot of work, and it ain't going to be just me doing it. But I'm going to start leading from the head from day one. Um, it's it's what I'm going to do. Um, and um, hell yes, I'll work with you, Angela. Of course I will. And my question for both of them, Cajun. So please let them both answer. Yeah. Um, is if the two of you weren't running, if 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 you weren't running for chair, which of the other two of us would you vote for? Steve, go ahead. No, 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 never answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I tell you what, though, um, uh, that, that's great. <laughs> yes. I tell you what. Um, yes. Yes. That's my nice. answer. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes, very good. Let's do. Uh, I didn't have this in the script, but Tony, you kind of threw me into a mental whirlwind there for a second. Let's go ahead and give each and every one of you a uh, a closing statement. And since Tony, you're the one that we should have put this in the script. That's my fault, but we got there anyway. So since you triggered it, Tony, you go ahead first. Give us a a thirty second to one minute closing statement, please. Um. So first of all, thank you. Um. Thank you, Noel, for um hosting this debate. This has been, this has been great. It's been spirited. I've been watching the comments. I know you've been watching the comments. It's been exciting and fun. And and I really appreciate this. Uh, I know there were a lot of questions that didn't get asked or answered. Um, I have a website, Tony4chair.com. That's Tony, the number four chair.com. Four is for the the number of uh, decades I'm going to serve as LNC chair. I'm kidding, but uh, (laughs) I'm not that much of a masochist. Um, Nobody's that much of a masochist, I hope. But um, please, I I have a contact form. All my socials are over there. Um, Come over there. Throw me a buck or two if you you, um, see fit. If you have questions for me, do not hesitate to ask. I'm happy to do that. And thank you for, um, once again, for hosting this. Man, it's been awesome. Thank you. Uh, you got anything else that uh, you need to plug as far as sites go, website, follow you on Instagram or Twitter, anything like that? Well, TonyFordChair.com. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm to, um, Tony4LP. I have my Facebook page, Tony DeRazio, Libertarian for LNC Chair. Um, all those are linked at the website as well. 
Outstanding. Thank you, Tony. If you don't mind, hang out for a second, please. Yeah, sure. Angela, your uh, closing statements and give us your your, uh, your pitches for where everybody can follow you and support you, please. Absolutely. You know, we're living in unprecedented times. We've had a year of lockdowns. For the first time in history, we have a president that tried to implement a nationwide vaccine mandate. Inflation is through the roof. We cannot afford to fumble the ball again. If we're going to make it as a national party and make our mark, this is it. This is the time. And we have so much potential. I want us to be a party that inspires people to pursue personal freedom with unmatched passion, to run for local office and defy mandates and dictatorial edicts. I want to get a nullification movement going. But we have to get that message out first. We have to take our responsibilities seriously and understand we're in a battle for the soul of this country and maybe the future of our children. We can't be all things to all people, but we could be a beacon of hope to people who are searching for freedom and a strong platform for libertarian ideas. Let's be like David, right? Throwing a stone in the face of Goliath. If you would like to help get me elected, you can follow me at AngelaMcArdle.com. You can support me on Patreon. You can read and get a lot of access to the materials I put out for state affiliates and candidates on Patreon or my Substack. Uh, I'm going to be making a lot of that stuff uh, public and available to everyone after Reno, though. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you, Angela. And last but not least, Mr. Steve, give us your uh, closing statement and where everybody can follow you and support you, please. Great. And I think the most important thing that we have to do is we have to grow. We have to have a vision and a message and a, and visibility that will cause us to grow. And we've seen that that when we grow, we can get more done. When we don't grow, we stagnate. Uh, picture the trucker uh, convoy up in uh Canada with one truck, it wouldn't have had the impact that it had. Or picture the parent challenging a mask mandate in school with one lone parent rather than a whole room full of angry parents. Or picture the businessman has been shut down from his uh, or her uh, business lockdown, one lone person with a sign protesting at the Capitol versus having hundreds or thousands of people protesting. Numbers in politics matter, and we need to have a laser-like focus on growth, reaching out to pe- the libertarian-leaning people that are already out there. We just have to discover them and show them that, you know, we're here. I find very few libertarians who say they talk to a libertarian and suddenly said, my gosh, I've been wrong all my life. You are right. What they usually say is, where have you been? You agree. You're saying the things that I believe. Where have you been? We need to have offer that. Uh, my website is stevedosbach.com and you can get to all the other stuff from there. Outstanding. Thank you, Steve. And I'd just like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you. I actually thought this was fantastic uh, and, and a lot of fun. It went a lot better than I could have imagined because I've never done anything like this before. And so... Um, I first and foremost like to thank my wife and my team for helping me script all this and put it together. But more importantly and mostly important, I'd like to thank you guys for joining me and giving your heart and and giving your time two hours and 15 minutes. And all of you in the audience that have literally been here, hundreds of people, if not a thousand, probably over now uh, have, have tuned in for over two hours. All of you are absolutely amazing. Steve, Tony, Angela, thank y'all so, so much. Y'all are fantastic. And I cannot wait to see the result, not just in Reno, 
But what happens, no matter who's at the chair position, I believe that we have a winning formula. I know we have the winning message. We have the winning formula. And you guys are going to work together to implement that regardless of what happens in May. So to each and every one of you, thank you so, so much. And I will talk to you very, very soon. Y'all have a fantastic evening. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you. you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Outstanding. Thank you very much to our candidates, our nominee or candidates. Yeah. I, I mean, I just thought that was excellent. That was fantastic. Super cordial. Everybody had a great time. We even got into some dissenting opinions and we were still professional because that's what we have to be. If we want to win on this stage fighting against two giants, then we were going to have to be able to deal with each other in this manner. This is a fantastic example of how we can move forward and progress as a party and a movement as individuals. What you saw tonight is a prime example of how we can do that. It starts with us. It starts with me. I have to correct me first. I have to criticize me first. And if I do that enough, guess what I don't have time for? Criticizing you. Because I've got enough on my plate that I've got to deal with to fix me so I can be the best person and the best voice for liberty that I can possibly be and make the biggest impact. So thank you to all of our candidates. Thank you to all that watched. Amazing, amazing time. I will see y'all Wednesday. And what I'm going to do Wednesday is I'm going to go live at six from six to about six 45. It's going to be a short show, but I have an extraordinary news update and, and break. I've got to get some more information because I've got new things that are happening tomorrow. And I'm going to give that to you on Wednesday. Just an absolutely incredible story and a couple of them on Wednesday. So I will see you at 6 o'clock on Wednesday. Obviously not the same Cajun time, but it is the same Cajun channel. You know it. You know it because I say it every single time. And that's because I mean it. I love each and every one of you, Cajun Libertarian, and I am out. Mm -hmm.